0: Good evening.
1: You're on with Divorce and Family Law. My name is Attorney Vincent Davis, and it's our weekly show on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. This evening, we're going to be talking about uh, child support. I've gotten a lot of emails about that. And we're going to talk a little bit about child custody. Uh, Child support is a little bit more complex than a lot of people think here in California, And, of course, child custody, um, they probably have treatises that are three or four volumes in length that go into all the complexities about child custody in California. I want to tell you that if you have a family law case or a divorce case or child support case or paternity case, it's important very important that you get the information that you need in order to assist you in doing your child support case. That leads you to getting uh, experienced and expert legal representation. And usually, not in all circumstances, usually, um, attorneys like myself will give a free consultation to folks who need uh, representation. I'll get into how we represent people and you know how we charge people towards the end of the show, but I want to launch right into the issue of child support. Now, in order to compute child support in California, California uses a very sophisticated and complex formula and uh, to compute what one parent has to pay another parent um, for child support. Generally, I won't say generally, in all of the situations that I've been involved with, um, my office and the opposing attorney's office, as well as the judge, uses a type of software program that will compute the child support. Uh, the child support number. Uh, I use the most popular one, I think. It's called DisoMaster. And uh, the latest version, I think, is 2015 version 2. I'm sure that there will be a 2016 version coming out. But another um, child support calculating soft house. And both of these software programs are very similar, and they also will give you the number not only for child support, but they'll give you the number for uh, spousal support. So let me tell you about the Dysol Master Program. The Dysol Master Program is a program that takes a series of input numbers, and then it gives you an output, the child support that one party has to pay the other. Now imagine an Excel spreadsheet and going down the line on the left you have a series of information that you input for both parents if applicable. In one column you have the father's information and in one column you have the mother's information. So the first line item um that you input information on on the disl master to compute child support is the number of children involved in the relationship in the marriage or in the in the relationship where one party is trying to get uh, child support from the other so under each heading under mother and father, you put the number of children that are in that person's custody at least 50% of the time. So, for example, if the marriage has three children and two of them live with the mother and one lives with the father, one and two under each of the respective names. The next line item is the percentage of time with the non-custodial parent. So let's say that the two children in our example are with the mother 80% of the time. Then we'd put 20% for the father. And let's assume that the one child with the mother, excuse me, the one child with the father is in the mother's custody 0% of the time. So you'd put 20% and 0 under mother. Now, a lot of people ask me, how do you compute the percentage of time? And there's a lot of different ways you can do it, a lot of shortcut ways. But generally, I take the number of hours in a month, which is always 30 days, multiply it by 24, and that's our denominator. And the numerator would be the number of hours spent with the non-custodial parent. That would be the numerator. And So then you could get a percentage. So simple calculation. So for example, let's say that out of 30 days, um, the child is with the father 10 days. that would be 33% percentage of non-custodial time with the father. By default, that would be 67% with the mother. The next line on the Dissol Master is something called the filing status. And that refers to the person's um, filing status with the IRS. So let's say in our example that the father is filing single, so he would choose the option for single. Let's assume that the mother was filing head of household, so we'd put that in there. There are different inputs that you can use for filing uh, in this category. You could use single, head of household, married filing jointly inside this marriage or married filing jointly outside of the marriage, assuming one of the people got remarried or is married to another person. and Or you can use married filing separately. Married in this marriage filing, filing separately or married to someone else filing separately. another marriage. The status or filing status that you select will have an important impact on the number that you use or that you get in child support. Now going back to the previous line, the percentage time with the non-custodial parent, these numbers are also very important because As far as a non-custodial parent is concerned, the more time they spend with the child during the month, the less they will pay in child support. And the reverse is true. The less time that they spend with the custodial parent, um, the more child support they will pay. So in a lot of cases, you get people arguing about Child Custody and Visitation, uh, the percentage of time with the non parent, because it has a significant impact to the amount of child support that is paid. The next line item um, on the DISL Master is called the California Filing Status. And those generally are used, are the same as the federal filing status. However, they can be different and it can have a significant impact on the Um, A lot of practitioners, a lot of times I get involved in child support cases, um, that's not even considered. But um, it's something that should be considered because it could have an impact on the bottom line on, on the amount of child support paid or received. The next line item is the number of federal exemptions. Now, on your... For the 1040 tax return, the number of items of federal exemptions uh, usually appear. For example, in our example, um, the father takes his own exemption and he has another exemption for the child that's with him most of the time. And In our example, the mother did not have any visitation. So she was at 0%. So father has two exemptions. Now, in our example, there were two children living with mother with visitation to father, and so the mother would have her own exemption plus the two children um, that live with her. So she would have three exemptions. The next line item that has a significant, as you might imagine, impact on uh, child support is the line item for wages and salaries. That is the amount of money that a person earns per month and that is input into the DISO master on the wage and salary line. Okay. Now, going down the Master. By the way, you don't have to be an attorney to um, to buy the Dyssal Master program. You can, even these days, buy the DissoMaster Master iPhone app or Google app, and you can get it on your phone or you can get it on your uh, laptop or on your tablet. So, anybody can get this program. Now, there may be some training in how to use the Master, but that's another story. So, we're at the uh, line item of wages and salary. Now, this is generally the monthly amount, or you can put in the annual amount, or you can put in the hourly amount or the weekly, bi-weekly, or semi-monthly, or even the amounts year-to-date, and the computer program will figure out your monthly amount automatically. You have to take into consideration when you do this um, things like 401k contributions. I'm going to stop there and... I'm looking at the program, so anyway, you put in the monthly, excuse me, the wages and salaries that each person makes um, for our example. In our example, we're going to put in wages and salaries for the father per month of $10,000, just randomly selected, and for the mother, $5,000. Now, if we stop there, the father would be paying the mother $1,200 a month in child support. Uh, don't forget, that's based upon the examples that we've used. Now, I'm going to continue in the Disso master explanation. But in the interim, I'm going to take a call from one of our callers, area code 559, ending in two
0: one.
1: Hello, you're on with attorney Vince Davis, divorce and family law.
0: Hi, how are you? Can you I'm hear me? I'm doing fine. Loud oh, okay. and clear. Great.
1: Um did you have a question did you have a question yeah. or did you want to share a story?
0: I wanted to share my story. Um I live in Tulare County. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's I actually well, then you might know it's renowned for its uh, corruption, especially in family law. Well, about well, in June of 2015, my three-year-old was standing outside the door on my front porch. I assumed he was with his father. However, his father, unlike any other day, left at 6 a.m. and never told me. So my son standing on my front porch, me assuming that his dad was with him, I was wrong but I saw him and I was getting up to get some clothes. And then I look out the window again and my son is now sitting in the back seat of a Tulare County Sheriff's car. And the car is peeling dirt out of my driveway. And let me mind you, I have to tell you I am the only car house. I mean, on the road, I live three miles outside of town and there are absolutely nobody else around. Within three seconds, I had 10 cop cars in my driveway and then inside my house. Um, They basically kidnapped my kid. Now, since that day, I have been going through hell because it is obviously referred to CWS. And um, CWS from day one has refused to work with me. They've only worked with the father, which is kind of strange considering the father left my son unattended and never told mom or anything like that. But I was arrested and held for 72 hours on a mental health watch. Now, the first half of this case, what they were trying to do is make me look like I was crazy. They actually, and I quote, stated this to the judge in the paperwork. The mother has untreated mental health issues. Not true whatsoever. And I have raised my son since he was born. Dad has not worked. I have been breadwinner and mommy. My son came with me to work. I mean, we are very close. They won't work with me. They still won't work with me. Six months after they took him, they, I mean, they... Finally decided to press charges against me for child cruelty, which, if anybody knows me, is far from the truth. I actually just refused to work with CWS, and there's very many reasons for this. I took my signature off of everything that I ever signed for them, and I'm trying to find a lawyer to sue them because while my son is in their custody, the very first week, he got severe lead poisoning, so severe that parts of his veins in his arms and legs were deep purple in color. Now, they underplayed it. I'm the do- a doctor's daughter. I knew that was wrong. I didn't know why he had that. But after I left that visit, I seen the very first foster, foster mother, she only spoke uh, Spanish, no English. My son only speaks English. She also had 13 children at that home. Said that, my son got lead poisoning. So I went home immediately and I researched it causes all kinds of things from autism to speech problems to anything you can imagine, horrible things, lifelong lifelong things that will impact my son forever. In fact, he's going to have to be in speech therapy because he used to speak full sentences, and today he's just getting to the point again where you can almost understand him. He's almost four now. Um, Well, that happens. And then I know that the very first time that they finally let me see my son about a week later after they had had him, I brought my son's immunization card to them, the yellow card, you know, and I let them make a copy and I had, you know, gotten a copy for it from them. So I had a copy that they, you know, made for me and my records as well. Now, a couple months in that they had my son, I'm still worried because not a single time yet that I've seen him, has he been healthy? He's been very, very pale. You can see through his ears, that's how pale he was. So I'm looking at this and, they told me that they gave him some immunization shots. Well, health and education passport, you get that when they, you know, I still had all my rights at the time. And they gave me my health and education passport on September 29th. They listed one immunization shot. He has, should have had nothing, no shots. Two weeks before they took my son, I had taken him to the doctor. He was up to date. He shouldn't have had another shot until he, after age four. They gave him four, three times, sent my son to the emergency room having seizures. Not one, did, not once, did they tell me about this. Nothing. They have told me nothing to this day. They have told me nothing. In fact, I think that that's why they were pressing charges on me because I'm not letting it go. What they've done to my son, they could have killed him, and it's it's heartbreaking. But um, it, this is my story. I can prove everything I say. I have the immunization record that they chose to go with is from a different clinic not the clinic where he got all his immunization shots. I have the record stating when they got all of his records from that clinic, which is well before they gave him any immunization shots. They, just, they were doing it, and what my suspicion is, is I've done a lot of research on this topic, but how they get their funding is a lot of it's through federal block grants, and if you have a lot of special needs children in your particular county, you get a lot more money. Also, one other aspect of this case is my lawyer had no office whatsoever for me to get in uh, in touch with him i tried to re- you know look him up on the internet in the yellow pages all i found was a listing for one office and i went there and the woman working at the desk told me oh honey you're not the first and i'm sure you're not going to be the last to come here looking for him but he has not been here in years the best place i'd say is go to the courthouse and look for him because i don't think he has an office and she was absolutely right my lawyer didn't have five minutes for me to talk to him he, he he stonewalled me the entire time, so I still never even got to have a single conversation with him. Number two, my son was in four foster homes before he was returned to the father, who I have a protection order against, by the way, and they changed the protection order even to... Because when I first got that in 2013, it included my son, which includes a custody order with it. Well, they changed that for the county, so it didn't include him anymore, but... What I was going to say is uh, my son was in four foster homes the entire time he was in their care for six months. The very last foster home was my caseworker's brother. Now, (laughs) it was just brought up on January 12th that should the father make any mistakes, my son will be taken and adopted out. And it was made clear that her brother wants to adopt my son and... With the new adoption laws stating that any adoptive parent, if they adopt a child's special needs or not, can move anywhere in the world and get the check until that child is 18 years old, worries me to death. Because the father and I, we've made up, we're working things out. My son is with him, so yeah, I stay with my son. I live here. But if CWS walks up and catches me here, they're going to take him. And I'm at a loss what to do. This is my family I'm fighting for.
1: Well, thank you, thank you for sharing
0: this.
1: Thank you for sharing us with your story. Your story may be better for our radio show on uh, Saturday mornings, our Fight CPS radio show. This radio show is, is uh, geared towards uh, divorce and family law. Yeah, we were I getting separated, but now we're together. Uh, I see. Well, I want to <laughs> thank you for calling in and sharing your story. So, 8
0: a.m. on Saturdays?
1: 8 a.m. on Saturdays. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing.
0: hmm
1: Okay, getting back to our um, discussion about the DISO master. So, we stopped off at using uh, or at talking about the wages and salaries. So, the next line item is something called the 401k employee Contribution. And that's uh, the pre tax employee contribution to a 401k plan. Make sure that in this line we do not enter the employer contribution and uh, only the employee contribution. And we do not enter anything here if the wage line is already reduced for four hundred one K contributions. The next line item uh, for the Distal Master is something called self-employment income. And that is, uh, I guess, self-explanatory. It's a total income from self-employment subject to tax. Examples of that would be if I had a job uh, as a carpenter, but on the weekends I had a business where I uh, videotape, well, uh, videotaped uh, weddings. That was uh, something in a recent case that I had. So on that line item, both for both mother and father, you would enter in the amounts of self-employment income. Now, for most people, that might be zero. They don't have a separate self-employment income. All they do is work for a uh, a wage or a salary with a company or a governmental entity. Now, the next line item on the Disselmaster is something called other taxable income. And on that, for other taxable income, you have things like short term capital gains, long term capital gains, ordinary dividends, taxable interest received, unemployment compensation operating losses from uh, different businesses. Um, You have the California operating loss adjustment, and you see that on your California state income tax return. The other things that would go in this other taxable income would be royalties, partnership shares, uh, income from S corporations, rental income, and... Minis, uh, excuse me, miscellaneous ordinary taxable income. So, if it's some type of income, it's going to go on this line. If it hasn't gone on previous lines, the next line item uh, for us on the distal master is something called TANF plus child support received. Now, TANF is the new name for AFDC, which is a form of welfare from the state and federal government. And you also put those items there, and you'd also put in any child support that you received from other relationships or other marriages. The next line item for the Dissol Master is something called other taxable income. Income that is available to pay child support but is not taxed. And so for each of the parents, you put that in, the, in this line item. The next line item that you would put in is your new spouse's income. So let's say you are already married and, excuse me, you're already divorced and you got remarried and the former spouse has taken you back to court to get more child support. In this item... Um, you would put your new spouse's income. So if you got married, and in our example, uh, the wife makes $2,000 a month, you would put that 2000 in right here. So that takes care of the new spouse's income. Then there are adjustments to income. Adjustments to income are the next line item, and they are things like Educator expenses, certain types of business expenses, health and savings account deduction, moving expenses, your SEP and your IRA, your IRA deduction, your student loan interest, your tuition and fees if you're in school, and then your domestic production activities deduction, That is a line item on your income tax return, and then other adjustments to income. And you, for both the mother and father, you would put your adjustments to income there. The next line item are California-specific adjustments to income. These are adjustments to the federal income tax return to arrive at the California-specific taxable income number, and you would get that off your franchise tax board um, tax form, which is the California Tax Form 540. The next line item is spousal support. Hold on a second. Yes, spousal support paid from other marriages, ordered. Deductible support paid to a previous or subsequent spouse, and you would enter those numbers here for both the mother and father in a lot of cases, that number may be zero and if it's zero, you just leave it um, leave it as is the next line item, which I never had an issue with, but I'm involved in a case now where they are asking that my client not be given credit for this item and it's child support paid in other relationships. Now, that's court-ordered child support paid for kids of another relationship. This number uh, tends to make the amount of child support you have to pay go down. So in our example, right now, the master has the father paying the mother um 1000 uh 200 dollars per month so let's put in this amount just a random number that the father pays 1000 dollars to other children in other uh from other relationships if we put that number in the father's amount of child support that he has to pay goes down from 1200 dollars to $680. Now, I always believed that this amount was automatically um, input. I'm involved in a case now where the attorney is trying to argue that the judge has discretion to allow the father to have this deduction for child support he pays to other relationships um at the last hearing it was my interpretation of what the judge said that uh our client does get this uh child support credit because he pays child support to other uh to to other women um but the attorney representing the mother in this case is insisting that that ruling is still up in the air uh, i don't know if he's doing that for negotiation purposes but I'm pretty sure that's going to be a loser for him and his client. The next item that you're going to put on the Dissol Master is your itemized deductions. Now, these itemized deductions are from the IRS, IRS form, excuse me, 1040, Schedule A. Now, itemized deductions are amounts that increase the amount of money you have available to pay child support, so if you have itemized deductions, your child support is going to go up. so in our example let's put don't forget we have the father paying the mother six hundred and eighty dollars for two children let's put in he has itemized deductions of thirty five hundred dollars if we put that in, the amount of child support father pays to the mother jumps back up, jumps back up by coincidence to $1,260. So you see how child support paid to other relationships decreases the amount of child support the father had to pay. But if he has itemized deductions, the amount is going to go up. And that is because when he has itemized deductions, he's going to pay less taxes to the IRS, and he's going to have more money available to pay child support. The next item on the diso Master, they are union dues. Now, these are dues actually required as a condition of employment. So in our example, let's assume that father belongs to a union and that mother does not. So if you put in the amount of uh, union dues, let's say he pays, as a random number, $100 per month, that just has reduced his child support from 1262 to 1208. So since he is required to pay this to, to be employed, it means that he has less money to pay child support with now the next line item that you have um is mandatory retirement, and mandatory retirement are mandatory um contributions you have to make to your retirement plan in some you know form or fashion. So, in our example, let's say the monthly amount of mandatory retirement he has to pay and don't forget he's making ten thousand dollars a month uh the mandatory retirement is going to be two hundred dollars, and that's going to reduce his child support um for the down to eleven $1, hundred and thirty seven dollars um, the mandatory retirement uh it's broken up between qualified adjustments to income and non-qualifying contributions. So if you do have mandatory retirement, you want to make sure that you put these on the right lines, and that's something that you can talk to an attorney about or your accountant about. The next line item is something called the hardship deduction. Now, it becomes important that you put the amounts on the right lines or it could significantly affect what you pay or receive in child support. In that case that I was telling you about, the other side wanted to put the amount of child support my client pays to other mothers here at the hardship deduction. Well, if you put it here at the hardship deduction, my client will not get the full benefit of paying child support in other relationships. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're not pencil whipped and you want to make sure that these deductions are put on the right line. So generally, um, you have hardship factors for something like extraordinary health expenses uninsured uh, catastrophic losses so let's assume that he had the father had extraordinary health insurance expenses of um $2500 and up to this point in the fiscal master he's paying 1137 in child support but if he had these hardship this hardship deduction of 2500 uh, and I put it in there as $2,500 per month, he would only have to pay $274 in child support for those two children. But let's assume that it's not $2,500 a month. It's, you know, uh, $2,500 a year. So if you divide that, so let's say $300 a month has extraordinary health insurance. Um, he'll be going for about $1,100 per month down to $981 per month. So uh, if you're paying or receiving child support, you want to make sure that you look at these hardship deduction items. The next line item um, are something called other guideline deductions. Uh, And these are things that reduce income for available support. Let's just say, for example, his uh, check is being garnished, $100 a month uh, for some type of judgment that he owes, that reduces the amount of money that he has for child support. And so, if that were um, input, there would be a slight deduction from approximately $981 to $930. Now, this is just per month. So, those differences do add up over the months, over the years. Um, that that this gentleman will be paying uh, child support. The next line item is called uh, AMT Info. It's from the IRS Form 6251, which is the alternative minimum tax. And let's say that his alternative minimum tax, if he has one, uh, is $600 a month. And if you put that in to the distal at this point, it actually would have um, calculated your child support that the father pays at $930. The last item is an item that uh, can be litigated and could cost the person paying child support a lot of money. And it's called child support add-ons. These are child-related expenses consider- considered for an add-on to child support. Your typical add-on is child care. Well, let's say that the mother is paying a thousand dollars a month in child care, and she can prove it, and she has the receipts. Well, these would simply go as an add-on. Uh, under mother, we would put a $1,000. And that would bump up the child support um, by $500. Uh, his base child support would be uh, $708. But when you add on the add-on, it's $500. And so his total child support would jump back up to 1200 in eight dollars now, because of the case I'm involved in right now, the mother is claiming four thousand dollars in add-ons. Not only is she claiming four thousand, she's asking the judge to make the father pay a hundred percent of the add-ons generally add-ons are fifty fifty. There's something in addition that you need um, for the child that's not covered by the base child support amount. Now, in this particular example or the case that I was talking about, it's our position that mother's just coming up with these $4,000 add ons because the father's child support is going to be substantially reduced. So we're going to be getting into arguments and hearings and mini-trials about whether something is really an add-on or not. And the Family Code defines add-on. So you can Google that. Just Google California Family Code and, and you know, put an add, o n, And the you can see what's defined as a legitimate add-on for child support cases. That takes us all the way through our example for using um, the master this evening. And based upon our client's income and the mother's income and the percentage of time that the father spends with the two children and all of the other factors, it has father paying mother $353 per month. In our example um, the amount of money that's paid is usually um paid by the father or the father's employer if a wage uh, assignment kind of like a wage garnishment is filed by the mother, and then the the employer becomes responsible responsible for withholding that uh that amount in child support and sending it to the state or directly to the mother. Uh, if it's sent directly to the state and the County, they will then send the child support to the mother or the father can just pay monthly or twice a month on the first and 15th. The child support, child support amounts directly to the mother. Um, I want to remind everyone that, um, is generally defined as checks, money orders uh, that are paid directly to uh, the person receiving the child support. Uh, and now what people are also doing is uh, sending electronic payments, and those are, I believe, that will qualify as child support as well. Here's what is not child support what is not child support is the 100 bucks in cash you gave one of your children. It's not the, uh, you know, $500 uh, you gave in cash to the mother. It has to be check, money order, or electronic payment. Because what the law doesn't want, they don't want you and the mother arguing about what was child support and what wasn't child support. For example, just a gift. And so the courts and the legislature have put it to child support or have defined child support as something that's actually paid and something where there's actually a record of it being paid. I hope um, this gives folks a a little bit more information about child support, about how it's created, how it's computed, and how it's paid. Um, On my website, you can find a simple child support calculator. It is not 100% accurate, but it will get you in the ballpark. If you want to get 100% accurate, you're probably going to have to use one of these software programs like DisoMaster or Xpouse uh, to to compute it. Now, I had mentioned that DissoMaster. and I don't know about Xpouse, but DissoMaster you can buy the app for, and I think the app was maybe $49 or something like that, expensive amount of money for an app. But if you are paying a large amount of child support. And if you're not going to hire an attorney, it might be useful for you to get this app and play around with it. You probably are going to have some issues with it. um, And maybe you can go to a consultation with a lawyer, get a free consultation, and uh, maybe that lawyer can show you how to use it. Or you can just, you know, hire a lawyer and help them ask the Lord to compute everything for you, uh, because the amount of child support that you're going to pay or receive is going to be an important number, uh, an important number because, you know, child support for a young baby is going to be paid or received until that child turns 18 years of age. So that's many, many, many months of child support being paid and received, and it could be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, Depending on, you know, the income of the prospective or the income of the different parents. Okay, so that's enough on child support. There was one other topic that I wanted to speak about this evening, and that was uh, child custody uh, and child custody litigation. One of the child custody and visitation is one of the hottest emotional hot buttons in a family law case. It's generally where most people spend all of their money fighting about custody and visitation. And I think the reasons are twofold. Number one, it's an emotional issue. People feel that their children are their children and nobody should be taking their children away from them. So, that's the first issue. The second issue is it has a significant impact on child support numbers and child su- and spousal support numbers. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk a little bit about child custody and visitation litigation. I'm not going to have time to really uh, go into it in detail on this show tonight, talk about it, because... In the coming shows, we're going to talk more and more about it. Hopefully, next week, Attorney Raj Makani will be back, and he and I can go into a lot of these topics in more detail. But let me tell you what we're going to do generally. First, we're going to talk about the overview of custody and visitation litigation in California. Um, I think this should be this overview should be given so that you can have a more specific idea about what to look for in child custody and visitation and what to consider when you have your own child custody and child visitation issues. The next thing that we're going to talk about is child and uh, parent-child relationships and why that is important or can be important to the outcome of a child custody uh, battle. Next, we'll talk about Um, assessing your case and assessing you yourself. And um, this assessment is important because if you plan on winning a child custody and visitation battle, you're not only going to have to know your strengths, but you're also going to have to know your weaknesses. Um, Next, we'll talk about parenting types of parenting plans that they are. A lot of judges like to Tailor parenting plans that are unique to each family. So we'll be talking about parenting plans. The next thing we'll do, we're going to talk about is the jurisdiction of the judge to make that order. Does the court have jurisdiction? The answer to that question is not always yes. You'll be surprised when we talk about it. Then we'll go in and we'll talk about um, the application for temporary Custody and visitation orders, how that's done. We'll tell you the forms you need to use. We'll tell you generally what you need to put in your declarations to persuade a judge. After that, we're going to be talking about discovery. Most people don't conduct discovery in child custody battles or in divorce battles, but I think it's one of the biggest overlooked topics. Uh, And it's very, very important. Next thing we're going to talk about is custody and mediation. Uh, Generally, in child custody cases in California, uh, before you can see a judge, after you file your paperwork, you have to go to a court-ordered mediation. And we'll talk about that. The next thing we're going to talk about is going to be child custody evaluation. I was just involved in a case today where a judge ordered a child custody evaluation. And I've been involved in a case, an ongoing case, where we're waiting. We're supposed to receive the child custody evaluation next week sometime. So child custody evaluations are very important, and you should know about them in in terms of planning your custody and visitation uh, battle in court. The next thing that we will talk about, we're going to talk about is um, the appointment of an attorney for the child. In many cases, judges appoint attorneys for the child because the judge may think that the mother's attorney and the father's attorney may be putting a little bit of a skew on what is actually happening in a case. And um, the judge appoints an, an attorney for the child, and the child is, uh, you know, is interviewed by, excuse me, by the attorney. And the attorney sometimes makes arguments that are the same as the father, the same as the mother, or sometimes comes up in a lot of cases with um, completely different recommendations with respect to custody and visitation. And that attorney usually takes it from are uh, supposed to be taking it from the best interest of the child, and from the child's perspective, not from the parent's perspective. Uh, the next thing that we'll talk about is the use of psychologists and other experts in a custody fight. Yes, um, decisions are made based upon evidence, and sometimes it's a good idea to enlist psychologists and other experts uh, to use their declarations and to bring them into court so that they can testify to help persuade the judge that, um, you know, your side is right. Uh, The next thing we're going to be talking about is factors used by the judge in deciding custody and visitation disputes between parents. Yes, there are a set of concrete factors the judge is supposed to use and look at when making decisions regarding child custody and child visitation, Um, some of those factors, just to give you a brief preview, are parties agreements, the health, safety, and welfare of the child, abuse of the child, or abuse of a spouse or a cohabitant. Yes, if there has been abuse, the court should be taking that into consideration. The next thing that we'll look at is um, disputes of custody and visitation involving grandparents, step-parents, and other third parties. Yes, grandparents have rights in California to visitation. Uh, The next thing we'll talk about is uh, hearing and trial preparation, Uh, what you should do uh, before the hearing in order to prepare thoroughly for the court battle. The next thing that we'll be talking about is the trial and the subsequent judgment. Then we'll go and talk about modification uh, of a judgment where the court has made a judgment with respect to custody and visitation. You don't like the uh, what the court has ordered down the line. You can go back to court and try to change it. When you try to change it, um, there must be something called Changed Circumstances, and it's called the Changed Circumstance Standard. So we'll be talking about what you need to show the judge in order to change a final custody and visitation order. Then we'll go and we'll speak about um, parental relocation. Uh, When one parent wants to move uh, from California and wants to go back to New York uh, because she's getting married, and that's where the new husband lived, or she's getting a new job, And, uh, you know, the dad, he lives here, and if the child moves back to New York with the mother, uh, he'll be having less visitation, uh, presumably. And so we'll talk about what uh, the parent has to show in order to move away and what the parent has to show in order to stop the move away. Um, We'll then be talking about general enforcement remedies, uh, such as contempt, contempt, uh, where, you know, child visitation has been ordered and uh, typically what happens is one parent doesn't follow the order and doesn't let the child see that parent as that, as it was ordered by the judge. Uh, generally, your remedies are to file some type of contempt where you can have that person uh, cited in and have to defend themselves. They can be fined and or put in jail for not following court orders. Uh, the next thing that we'll talk about is going to be enforcement under the UCCJEA and the Hague Convention. Uh, UCCJEA, let me see if I can get this right, is the universal, excuse me, the uniform Child Custody Jurisdictional Enforcement Act. And that's where you are enforcing child custody um, and visitation across state lines. And then the Hague Convention, the Hague, Con- the Hague Convention is a federal treaty, and sometimes disputes about child custody and visitation um, don't cross state lines, they cross country lines. Many years ago, I was involved in a case, turned out to be a, a case of some notoriety, uh, ended up in a federal published decision but I actually did an child, international child custody uh, dispute trial in the federal court here in Los Angeles. It was a dispute by a mother who lived here, and the father lived in Greece, and uh, at the time, the father had the child. As the case ended up, we ended up getting custody back to the mother here, uh, and there's a published decision in the Ninth Circuit about that about the Hague, applying the Hague Convention to international child custody disputes. The next thing that we're going to be talking about uh, and the last thing about child custody is modification of uh, jurisdiction and the procedure for modifying custody and visitation interstate, that means within the United States, and international cases uh, between countries. And the case that I told you about uh, that I was involved in uh, involved that international flavor or twist to the case. Uh, We're running out of time now. I want to tell you that uh, we are available to represent people in family law cases. Uh, There are three ways that we assist people. Uh, The first one is the old-fashioned full representation, where we take care of everything. The second way that we represent people is through what's called the limited scope representation or the bundled services representation. Um, that's where there's a menu of services and you as the client pick and choose what services you want and you only pay for the services you want you want to order. Um, so in some cases you you may want to start the family law case yourself. Some cases uh you may want us to do it and or you may want to do something like pay as you go. A lot of people are doing that because they don't have thousands of dollars to put down uh to hire to hire an attorney up front. The last way that we represent people is uh something called uh strategic case analysis. We don't actually go to court for the client in these types of cases. We meet and review your documents we meet with you, we review your documents, and we come up with a plan that would assist you in going to court yourself, and representing yourself. Uh, So those are the three ways that we assist people in uh, family law case centers. So please give us a call if you want to uh, discuss these options. Uh, You can reach us at um, 888-888-6582. We will see you um, next week on the radio show at uh, 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. And don't forget our Fight CPS show, which is on at 8 a.m. on Saturdays. Good night.